Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. All right, get your Bibles out. Turn to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. We are actually in part two of a four-week series, the whole month of June, a series on joy. Uh, Honestly, I just am so glad we started the series. It had been rolling around in me for a couple months. I didn't know why other than we need, maybe I needed, just needed some joy, but I know that uh, God has a powerful, um, just principles, of, he has powerful principles about joy uh, that need to be applied to our life. And then uh, as the weeks progressed, I saw just opportunities to put those into practice. How many of you guys have used this information from last week, put it into practice this week on joy? How many, how many have you had the enemy try and steal your joy this week? Just things have happened, things have happened. How many of that happened like at work, in your workplace? I'm seeing if any of my staff has their hand up. Cody? Oh, all right. All right. See me Monday. You think you lost your joy this week? See me Monday. All right? Um, you know, there's opportunities all the time to make choices. And really, we, as we talked last week, I don't, I don't want to go into all the review, but we, we talked last week about joy is a choice. I mean, it is. It is a choice. It's something that we choose. Um, it's based in Jesus and who he is and who he is in your life. And the good about that is it's unchangeable. Um, happiness, which we get confused with joy a lot, is based on outside circumstances. It's externally based, motivated, and those change all the time, and much of that you have no control over. But I'm glad that we have a choice, and I'm glad we have the sure thing, the one that changes not in Jesus Christ. So those, those are the things that we hold on to, that Jesus is the unchangeable one, and our joy comes from him, and we can make a choice in even the most difficult of situations to press into him to find that joy or not to. So the choice is yours, and so uh, we we have opportunities all throughout the week to do that. Let's take a look in Philippians 4. Now, we're going to be in chapter 2 today, but let me just start right here. I think this helps set us up. Philippians 4, verse 4 says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, why I think that's a great scripture for today, because again, it reveals to us uh, where we find our joy and who it comes from. And literally translated, it means that you find joy in Christ. Your joy, your rejoicing is going to come from Christ the Lord. That's good news. Because I got to tell you, there were some tough circumstances this week. I'm glad Jesus didn't change. Amen. I'm glad I could go to him in the middle of it and he's not changed at all. And I could still find my joy. And so, again, I want to encourage you to, as we, as we progress in this series, really take the truth of the word and apply it to your life. Because I, I'm going to be honest with you, I think there's a shortage of joy in our world I just, I think there's just so many things that just try and constantly try to suck the life out of us and then take our joy. And again, joy is a choice and we need to make those choices. And, and I would say this, that we are, we are so moved by our outside circumstances that we're really in a fight. I want to say it this way. In the world we live in today, we got to fight for our joy. We got to fight for that. We not lay down and let circumstances dictate our feelings and emotions. Let's be honest with you. Some of you had to, to fight to get out of bed during a rainy morning and come to church. I, I, I did. Okay, I, let me say, I don't know about you. I can't talk about you. Let me talk about me. I had to fight to get out of bed this morning. I heard the rain come pouring down. I'm just like, oh Lord, not today. <laughs> you know. I was like, and so, but you got to fight through some things, some emotions and some events and things that happen to really get your joy. And it seems to be more and more of a fight and joy is becoming seemingly more and more elusive. Uh, I read a Gallup poll in studying for the series on happiness, or really it's a Gallup poll that was taken to um, help us see the happiest states, to rank the states, one to 50, the happiest states. 
And from the, the happiest being number one all the way down to number 50 being the least happy. And their criteria will, was what they called a well-being index. And so each state got a well-being index score, and that was based on external circumstances, how much money people had, uh, how healthy the state was, or things there were for health or health care, positive relationships, uh, opportunity to advance in life and career, uh, safety issues, things of that sort. And so I want to give you the, the top 10 um, happiest states as they rank 1 to 10. This, uh, just before it goes up, tell me, tell me just shout out, who, what state do you think was number one? Okay, right. Wouldn't you think so? I would think so too. I don't know who they interviewed, but it's not. Texas is not number one. Let's go ahead and put it up there. My next choice would have probably been Hawaii, but Alaska's number one, and I've never been to Alaska, but isn't it dark like half the time? I mean... Is it, and cold, dark and cold? I mean, and let, I'm, I'll be happy when I'm sleeping. I don't know about the other times. I don't know. But what's interesting, whatever their criteria was and the well-being index, it only scored a 65. And if I remember school out of 100, that's failing. So we're, we're like failing as a nation, as a country. We can't even be happy, much less joyful. And that's kind of sad. And I look at Hawaii, and I would think Hawaii, I, I, mean, I could see that being number one, I guess. I've never been there either, but I like the brochures. And so... Uh, <laughs> If anybody's getting married there, I do destination weddings, by the way. Anyway, so I'm just saying. Um, then South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana, I've never been there. I don't know how they rate, rated so high, but I think, and this is just me, I think it's because they just might be the least populated states. And maybe less people, more happy. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Colorado, um, got my own opinion on that one. I don't know. Maybe legalizing marijuana. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Nebraska, Utah, New Mexico, Texas did make number 10. We're glad for that. Texas needs to be happy, needs to be the happiest, especially with the new open carry law. We just need to be happy people and, right? All right, I'm just saying, we need to be happy that we got that. I mean, because we carry those. Okay, so, and I know you're like me, and so it would be punishing for me to put the top 10 and not give you like at least number 50. I mean, you'd go home all day, he didn't even give us number 50, and your joy would be totally gone, and you'd be researching. So I'm just going to say that uh, one person in here that I know that would appreciate number 50, it would probably guess who it is, uh, the state would be, Pastor Ken, this one's for you, number 50 on the list is West Virginia. And I just don't know if, you know, if you're from there. I didn't do the poll. I love you. I'm praying for you. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. Actually, it was the number 50 the last several years. So you just can't get out of that. But uh, that's just based on um, just natural external criteria, a well-being index. And so again, happiness is something based on our external criteria, but joy is not. And man, we got to be so thankful for that. I mean, joy is based on who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in our lives. And it's a choice we make every single day. There are no doubt are very joyful Christ-following, believing people in West Virginia, right? I mean, I don't know. Is there people that follow Christ in West Virginia? PK? I don't know. Yeah, a few. Okay, there's got to be people that love Jesus, and no matter what the external circumstances look like, we can find the joy, but we need some coaching. We need some help, and therein lies why Philippians was written, and interestingly enough, in the midst of difficult external circumstances. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was in prison, chained to a Roman guard, in terrible conditions, and he, and he wrote the book of joy. Interestingly enough, and uh, if anybody was qualified to do that, it would be 
Paul. And so he planted the church in Philippi that he's writing the letter to uh, 10 years uh, before he found himself writing it in prison. And so let's pick up in chapter two as Paul's speaking on joy and it gives us a look at what it's gonna take to have it. And now last week we talked about no matter what. And so I don't wanna review that, but I wanna encourage you, if you weren't here to go get that or listen to that, you can go online and do that. And we're gonna pick up uh, today um, in chapter two, starting with verse one. So let's go. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, now he's writing to a church of believers in Philippi. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, capital S, God's spirit, Holy Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make, then make my joy complete by being, and now he's saying, my joy is gonna be complete or fulfilled or I'm gonna receive a greater fullness of joy when I see you being like-minded with each other, having the same love, unity, being one in spirit, connected with what God's doing and on mission, on one mind. And really, it is almost a restatement of what Paul just described about the church needing to connect with Jesus. I mean, if you go back and look at the words above, you can almost make the correlation that it's almost a restatement of that, just a, a few variances. But what I believe Paul is saying here is, not only is it important for you and I to connect with Christ in this capacity, but I believe he's saying it's important for you and I to connect one with another in this capacity. And here's what he says, when you do that, then he goes, my joy is gonna be complete or I'm gonna experience greater joy and here's why, because what's gonna make him experience greater joy is seeing the joy that that church can walk in from connecting with Jesus and connecting one with another, amen? And so I think it's important for you to understand that when we're talking about connecting uh, with, or really getting to that place of joy, it's not just about you and God. I just need Jesus, just me and Jesus. How you doing brother, it's just me and Jesus. I should say, it's just me and Jesus today. We were never made to walk through life alone. We were never made to be lone rangers. Everything happens in the context of relationships. That's how God set it up and designed it, even when it comes to experiencing the fullness of joy. So let me say it this way. When you come to church on Sunday morning, I don't know how you come in here, but I hope you come expecting. I hope you come ready to encounter the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're not just coming to church, you're coming to meet with Jesus. And probably a lot of us get excited and get ourselves fired up about that. But you know what? You're getting to come in here and connect with another group of believers. You're getting to come in here and say, hey, how you doing, man, praying for it. You get to come in here and connect just like you can't wait to connect with Jesus. You, you need to not wait to connect with other people. Can you imagine what a service would be like if we come all in full force connecting with Jesus and connecting one with another, walking in love, being single-minded, walking in unity? We would blow the roof off this place with what? The joy of the Lord which just happens to be our strength, would pick any of us up for the day and get us any of us going for the week. Could it just be then that in order for us to really maybe experience joy in a greater measure or joy perhaps even in its fullness, it's not only gonna require you and I to connect with God in that capacity, it's gonna require you and I to connect with other people. Well, I don't need anybody else, I'm just gonna come do my thing and leave. Then you just, got, you, you, you just missed it then. You did not get on the joy bus. You just missed it, it went right by without you and we're all having a good time, a joy party. Because when we come and we just give ourselves to Christ and we give ourselves a relationship to one another, this scripture to me says, there's a fullness of joy that, that maybe we hadn't been experiencing. 
And so I believe in this passage of scripture, one thing Paul is trying to express to you and I, that in order for us to experience joy in a fuller measure, it's not only gonna require you and I to connect and serve Jesus whom when it comes from, but his expectation is then for you and I to connect with one another, and really in a serving capacity. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as we move on. And so I, I believe what we learned last week, that if joy is a choice, then how you choose to relate to Jesus and how you choose to relate to others could just quite possibly determine the fullness of joy that you walk in. And so I think sometimes we may be connecting with Jesus, but maybe we're missing out on some joy and really we don't have the devil to blame. We just haven't maybe connected or gone out of our comfort zone or built relations. Hey, you know what? That's why Wednesday night having 500 people is awesome. There's a whole lot of connecting one with each other. And it's just fun. It was fun Wednesday night, especially afterwards. Hey, you're missing out on a whole bunch of joy Wednesday night if you don't get a chance to come. And that's why ladies' luncheon is so important, men's breakfast, all these things, because they're connecting points relationally. And so we invest in one another, like we invest in God, a result will be a greater measure of joy in our life. So he's writing this letter to a church that's uh, already saved. And so again, maybe he's expressing to them, and I believe that he is, he's expressing to them that let's not only just focus on connecting with Jesus, let's make sure that we're investing and connecting one with another, and we'll see a greater outpouring or greater experience of his joy. Now, there's a few things uh, really that he's going to say here as we move on that are joy killers, joy stealers, because we know it's an elusive thing, and it's a hard to hold on to thing, joy that is, and so it's easy for that to just elude us or escape us when we have that, and let's just be aware of some things out there that will steal your joy. In fact, he really highlights one I want to focus on this morning. So as we are back in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, let me read those for you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What I believe that Paul is saying here is a joy stealer, a joy killer, is what he says, selfish ambition or vain conceit or looking to your own interests and not the interests of others. I believe Paul is saying one of the greatest killers of joy is being selfish being about me. But that's so counterculture and so contrary to the world because the world says in order for you to be happy, do what makes you happy regardless of anybody else. Do the things, pursue the things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You pursue happiness and really even at the expense of other people as long as you're happy. But remember, happiness is temporary because it's external, but joy is internal. And we're not looking for the external, we're looking for the long haul, right? We're looking for the, the permanent. We're, we're looking for the thing that we can just walk in and tap into. And so you have to have a different mindset. And we'll get to that in a second. But what he's saying is the greatest joy stealer is being about you. Make life about you. And that, again, is so intri- interesting because the world would say, do what makes you happy. And really, we have a growing obsession in this country about us, about self, right? We have an obsession with self. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but in the year 2013, the word of the year was selfie. Not surprising, is it? I think that's the word to 2014, 2015. The word of the year is selfie. And selfie is described as this. The definition is a self-portrait using a handheld device, usually taken in a tilted manner. <laughs> Come on. You've done it. You've got hundreds of them on your Facebook page. I see them. I'm a, I'm a Facebook stalker. I'm all over your pages checking out what you're doing and stuff. I see all the selfies you're taking. And then some of you bought selfie sticks, right? Your arm wasn't long enough, right? I guess. 
millions of selfies are posted every single day. Now we don't want to get into the psychology of all that because I take selfies. <laughs> so uh, we don't want to get into the psychology of all that. But it's interesting, isn't it? We have a growing obsession with self, it seems like. And this is an interesting fact. 25% of selfies are taken by those 45 and older. I thought, so we can't just blame it on the young generation. Come on, right? It's like you're secretly, you're the secret selfie taker, right? So 25% of you anyways. It's interesting to me, but it really is a sign of our culture. And Paul's saying, take a time out and look and see, because living for yourself is going to steal your joy. And really, the more absorbed we get with self, and we are, the more obsessed we get with self, the more joy becomes elusive to us. And, and wouldn't we agree that perhaps that's where we are in maybe our culture today? And it may bring happiness for a moment, but that attitude will steal your joy. In fact, um, I read this uh, study by the, a group in California, and it was talking about social media. Social media has created some new cultural trends. There's new cultural trends on the rise. And the study shows that what's on the rise is a preoccupation with self. I could have saved them a whole bunch of money and said, yeah, there's a preoccupation with self on the rise. Uh, another thing they discovered was that on the rise is um, that people are feeling that they are above the rules. I get to live how I choose. I mean, turn on the TV, right? And let me just make this statement and just turn on the TV and you can see all these things about uh, all the police and all that. Well, if you wouldn't be breaking the rules and breaking the laws, you wouldn't have to have police intervention. I mean... Nobody's above, above the law. All right, there's my political correct statement right there. So, and then we also have on the rise an inability to take criticism. And so we also have a refusal to take responsibility on the rise. And listen to this one, on the rise in America, we are quicker to be angry than ever. And so I, I think the reason all that, again, speaks to, um, there's this obsession with self, and that's perhaps the greatest joy killer. And so we have to be very intentional. We have to be very mindful when we look into the scripture and take those truths and apply them to our lives because everything around us is to the contrary. And so it doesn't mean that we're bad people, which is why we find ourselves there. It's just natural and it's human nature. Now understand this, when it comes to natural or human nature, God doesn't want you living a natural life. He wants you to live a supernatural life. Amen? And because greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world, the spirit of God lives and abides inside of me. I'm not bound to living in the natural world. I got a supernatural working on my behalf. Amen? And so if the supernatural is at work because of Jesus in me and Jesus is our source of joy, wouldn't it be safe to say then that joy is supernatural? And because it's supernatural, nothing natural can take it away. Nothing natural can take it from you, so don't let it. Don't let it. It's supernatural because it comes from Jesus. Amen? So this world, what's that song? The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away, right? How many know that old school song? I'm not gonna sing it for you. Okay, you're all right. You, okay, good. Maybe with twice as many hands, but not that many. I'm not gonna do that, but no, I'm just kidding. That is uh, the idea of we can't live out of the natural. We have to apply these things in our life because the world, the natural, is more obsessed with self. And that in what Paul's writing is a killer to joy. And so uh, the reality is uh, of this, that we see this obsession with self is uh, what chapter two really is combating and why it is so important for you and I. And he has some things to say about it. So let's take a look at verses three and four again. In your relationship, uh, I'm sorry, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility and value others above yourself. Verse four, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And again, um, it's amazing to me that even back in that day, 
that Paul is writing this to the church in Philippi, I wonder what he'd be writing today. Because back in that day, they didn't have selfies, right? They didn't have that kind of stuff. But even today, it's becoming more and more prevalent. And again, the principle and the truth is still working today. Aren't you glad that the word of God is timeless? The word of God works no matter what century you live in, what time's going on. Amen. That's why we need to be the basis of our life. So what's the answer? Then what do we do? What do we do with all this? And verse three again says that uh, we need to be humble, walk in humility and value others above ourselves. Uh, Not look to our own interests, but the interests of others. Let's keep going in verse five. Here's what it says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. So, So here's the answer. So what do we do? Oh, it's simply this. Have the same mindset of Christ. What's the problem? That's easy, right? No, it's not easy. I'm like, are you kidding me? But we need to understand what this is really saying, and then we'll explain it in just a moment. What this is saying is have the same attitude of Christ. Because can I just be honest? I think sometimes joy is an attitude. I mean, I'm just not, you're not gonna take my joy away. I don't care what you say. You don't have to give me attitude. Hey, joy is an attitude, deal with it, right? <laughs> I think joy is an attitude. I think, I think faith is an attitude. I think we need to walk that way, operate that way. And I think right here, we're talking about having the attitude of Jesus. And we all can do that. We all can do that. And how do I know that? Well, because he explains how that's possible. Let's go on to verse six. Who, meaning Jesus, who being in very very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Isn't that good? That Jesus himself who we gave our life to, who redeemed us, and now lives in us through the Holy Spirit. He's telling us that we can have the same attitude. Paul's saying you can have the same attitude as Jesus because even though he was God, I can't have the mindset of Jesus, he was God. Who who can have that mindset? He's like, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't use that to his advantage. He had the same attitude that you and I can have. Why? Because he was walking on this planet. He says it didn't matter that he had the nature of God. He didn't use that to his advantage. So if Jesus in, 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 in his time here on the planet did not use his godly nature to his advantage and he was able to have a positive attitude and an attitude that will enable him to tap into joy, hey, guess what? I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. I'm thankful for that. If Jesus did it, I can do it because he didn't use his godly nature to his advantage. He goes on to say this, rather he made himself nothing, say nothing, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. I can do that. I mean, he had the ability to walk in the nature of God and yet he chose the nature of a servant. Uh, Maybe we say it this way, he had the ability to walk in the attitude of God or nature of God and yet he chose to walk in the attitude of a servant. Oh, now we're starting to get some more clarity on how this fullness of joy comes. Not only is it a choice that we make, but we not only choose to engage God and engage other people. Now, the power in this is the attitude of a servant helps us engage God and engage other people. And in fact, it's a necessity. If we're truly going to serve as God called and intended us to, then we need to be servants of others. And that is so contrary again because here's the thing. Why am I going to serve you? Because that's just going to make you joyful. I'm serving all these people. What'd you do today? Serve 10 people. Did you have a bad day? Well, you would too if you had to serve all those people. But this says that it's the attitude of a servant that will position you for fullness of joy. 
Come on, we can't think like the world thinks. We can't live natural lives. We gotta tap into the supernatural. And you need to tap into the supernatural, power of the Holy Spirit in you to have an attitude of a servant in the world that we live in today with all the things that we want even, even in and of ourselves to be about us. It's gonna take the supernatural. But you can do it, why? Because Jesus did, Jesus did it. He didn't take the God nature to his advantage. But he had the attitude of a servant. The mindset of Christ Jesus, the attitude of a servant. So don't live for yourself. It goes on to say this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled, say humbled, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow, and we are so thankful for that. He took the very nature of a servant or attitude of a servant, and which is so counterculture. And no wonder joy is so elusive. It says he humbled himself, even to the point of the cross. Now, let's go on, because I think it just keeps, that's good. It keeps, it keeps getting gooder. <laughs> so verse 9 goes on to say this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Well, hold on a second. He took on the attitude of a servant. He humbled himself. He made himself as nothing. What good is that? Where's the happiness in that? Happiness is being on top. Happiness is being number one. Happiness is having everything I want. And Jesus is saying, not the attitude of a servant. Happiness, or really your joy rather, is when you serve other people and God reaches down from heaven and lifts you up to overcome the things that would suck the joy out of your life. The tragedy, the hurt, the brokenness, the pain, the sorrow, and you serve your way to the top. You serve your way out of that and God reaches down and exalts you above all the challenges, heartbreak, things that you're facing in life. Bye. Serving other people. Serve your way. Serve your way out of it. Serve your way into joy. Serve your way into the fullness of joy because the Bible says God will reach down and lift up and exalt the humble. The attitude of a servant. And gave him, listen to this. Oh, back up a second. And gave him the name that is above every name. And let's go on because we, have, we like these scriptures right here. He is the name above all names. We sing that song. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And we're like, that's a battle cry. We're going to shout. We're going to go take this world by storm. We're going to kick down every demon, every gate of hell. We're gonna, no demon of hell is going to stop us. And you know what that, that passage of scriptures, those scriptures right there, he's the name above all names. Sickness and disease has to bow. And you know, we want to fight. You know where those are found? Those are found in the passage of scripture that talks about fullness of joy. <laughs> I love that. Because I'm thinking that's warfare scriptures. Come on, devil, where are you at? And it's like, that's when it's talking about joy, not battle and not warfare and not sickness and disease and all that's true and proper in those areas. And I love that. Can you see the power of what we're talking about here today of being a humble servant, of having the attitude of a servant? And he goes on to say this. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love that. You realize that's all in a passage is talking about how to have the fullness of joy. The attitude of joy. He humbled himself and God lifted him up. Maybe we've done too much lifting up of ourselves. Maybe we've done too much self-exalting for the sake of pursuit of happiness. And that's not how you get there. Jesus didn't use his God nature to have an unfair advantage. He humbled himself. Could it be that the key to rising up in joy is to humble yourself? Jesus humbled himself and God lifted him up. Maybe you and I, maybe for you and I to rise up over our circumstances, disappointments, tragedies, broken hearts, hurts and sorrows, which are real and, and, and deep. 
our pains is not by trying to pick ourselves up, but maybe by trying to pick somebody else up. Maybe by finding the strength to serve somebody else. Maybe. Maybe that's one of the ways that we'll experience joy by helping somebody else find theirs. Being the servant. The attitude of servanthood. When we humble ourselves and understand that the way up is the way down, we discover a greater fullness of joy. In fact, James 4.10 says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, happiness is really maybe even other people, temporary things lifting you up, but they'll bring you right back down. 1 Peter 5.6 says this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time in the midst of your challenge, your trial. Paul's saying the key to joy is to develop a servant's heart. Develop a servant's heart. The key to joy, developing a servant's heart. A servant's attitude, it's really all about attitude maybe. See, Paul gives us a key to the fullness of joy or making joy complete, and that's by following the example of Jesus who did not use his God nature to his advantage and being humble and being a servant. Let's look at Hebrews 12 too. I, don't want, I want you to really get this one. I'm gonna ask God help me really explain this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, we just went back that he was faithful even unto the point of the cross. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Listen to this, for the joy, say joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before, how would you use those two words in the same sentence? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God, the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy enabled him to endure the worst possible execution. Now, going with what we've just all learned, and give me a little liberty here, and I'm just going to express what I feel in my heart. This is saying, here we see Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice for all of mankind. And wouldn't we agree it was the ultimate act of servanthood? He served everyone who ever was, is, and will be with this one act going to the cross of sacrifice. The greatest act of service ever there ever could be in the history of man. And so would it be fair to say maybe then, because if we know the attitude of a servant are humbling ourselves, are are, are being a person that serves other people, would it be fair to say then in the greatest act of servanthood in the history of mankind that he received the greatest expression of joy? And isn't the greatest expression of joy knowing he was going to serve humanity? Maybe it's that joy that kept him on track to do what God called him to do? Because after all, in the garden, he said, if there's another way, God, I don't want to do this, but nonetheless, at your will, nonetheless, I'm going to serve you and your desires, God, and by doing that, I'm going to serve these people, and by doing that, I'm going to serve you. And would it be safe to say then that maybe our greatest expressions of servanthood may release the greatest expressions of joy in our life? Maybe at the most difficult times, it may just be what enables us to endure the pain, endure the challenge, endure the hurt. Just a thought, I don't know, I think so. The joy to endure, where's the joy to endure to come from? Maybe when we're on the way to serve. Find somebody that has a need, 
right? We've heard that, serve your way out of it. Find somebody who has a need, fill it. And that's the spiritual principle there. You reap what you sow. You help somebody find their joy, you'll reap that in your life. I love that about Jesus. Love kept him on the cross, but joy got him there. The joy to serve humanity. I understand that there's a lot of hurts and tragedy and sorrow in life and difficulties. I won't pretend to know what they all feel like. And I can't speak to all of them, and even this week we counted some, but I, but I can say this, that the word works, and the word is true, and there's power. And I would say this to everyone that finds himself in a difficult place looking for some joy somehow, somewhere, I would say, have the attitude of a servant. Have the attitude of Jesus. And find something, just something, just start with something to serve and to help. And serve your way out. Serve your way into joy. Live with a servant's heart is the message of Philippians 2. Let me give you, real quick, three things to develop a servant's heart, to protect a servant's heart. Go all in with God. Go all in. There's no holding back. There's no halfway. Go all in. You just don't play games and do it one day and not do it one day and expect to walk in the fullness. Expect to keep a servant's heart. Go all in. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed, not only in my present, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. Now, he's writing this to a church of people that are already saved. So what he's saying is keep growing. Keep maturing. Keep being discipled. You want to develop a servant's heart? Keep being discipled. You want to develop a servant's heart? Keep growing. You want to develop a servant's heart? Keep coming. Keep sitting under the word. You want to develop a servant's heart? Go to Growth Track 301. Go to the Growth Track. You want to develop a servant's heart? Come and sit under our powerful faith testimony at the ladies' luncheon. You want to go to servant's heart? Come Wednesday night for Ephesians. I know it doesn't work for everybody. I, I hear. Serve. Your way out. Grow, develop, mature. Protect that servant's heart. Continue to grow and mature. It says with fear and trembling, and that's basically just have a, have it, take it serious. Take it serious. Don't take it lightly. And it goes on to say this, well actually in, in the New Living Translation, let me read those two scriptures in the New Living Translation. Dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the result of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, aren't you glad for that? Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You gotta keep pressing in to God. As he gives you the desire and the power. So what Paul's saying is that you, here's what I believe Paul's saying right here. Wherever you are in your life with Jesus, start right here. Don't worry about the past. Wherever you are, start working out your salvation. Not working for, it's a free gift by grace given to everyone because of the work Jesus did. But from this, wherever you are, if you've blown it, if you're starting today, if you started 50 years ago, wherever you are, work out. Keep growing, keep pressing in, keep maturing in the things of God. Take it serious, he's saying. That's what he's saying that. Keep your servant's heart. Keep going wherever you're at today. Let's keep going uh, on the passage of scripture. Let's, let's keep going, 14 through 18. Did I read that? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Okay, now it got hard, <laughs> right? Okay, I can do that. Now it gets hard. Do everything without grumbling or arguing 
so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly onto the word of life and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ or his return that I did not run or labor in vain. But even, the, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I wanna give you another thing to help you guard your heart, have a heart of a servant. And we find it in this next passage of scripture, these next three scriptures, and I wanna give it to you first. Take a genuine interest in others. Let's read it now. Take a genuine interest in others. Verse 19 says this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, my spiritual son, to you soon so that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I wanna hear all the good stuff. I, I have no one else like him and there's no one else like him because he's one who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's saying, take a genuine interest in other people. You wanna have the heart of a servant, you wanna guard your heart against a joy killer, then take on a genuine interest in other people. Put it into action. Timothy just doesn't talk the talk, he walks the walk. He has a genuine interest for the well-being of others. So he's coming to you to serve you and to help you. Everyone looks out for their own interests, he says. But not those of Jesus Christ. That's not what we do. We look out for the interests of others. What he's implying, I believe, is when we, if we are looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ, we are looking out for the interests of others. Because the interest of others is the interest of Jesus Christ. The well-being of others is the interest of Jesus Christ, which we're to be about. And remember, we're talking about an attitude that leads to joy, an internal work that leads to an external work. Joy is not from being served, but from serving. It's from taking a general interest in others. And it comes from taking that heart of an attitude, rather, of a servant. You want joy in your marriage? Serve your spouse. Look to her own interests. You want joy in your family? Look to the interests of your children. You enjoy in your relationships, look to the interests of those around about you. You want joy in your life, look to the interests of others. Because looking at your own interests or looking out for your own interests is a joy killer. You gotta have the heart of a servant. One of the greatest ways to get joy back when you've lost it is to serve someone. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, Don't, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The way out maybe is serving Selfishness can rob your joy. Selfishness may lead to moments of happiness, but it will steal your joy ultimately. So we need to serve and lay down our own interests and take up the interests of Jesus. Um, you ever hear uh, someone say it was a joy to serve? They get it. It's not about them. In serving, there's just this joy that happens that the Bible says in us. And, and I want to encourage you again, and you saw the thing on the screen earlier, but we all need to be servants. Next week, Growth Track 301, 915 Wisdom for Life Room is a class that you get to discover your gifts, how you're wired. How can you best serve? What is it God's given you? How has he wired you? What has he created you to do? And, and you know, that discovery process will enable you to find the place that you serve. And then the following week, the next week, 401, is about the all-star team, how you can get plugged in and serve. And I, I don't say that so we can fill holes here. We're, we're, we're managing already. We're doing whatever. It is whatever. We're trusting God for that. I do that so you can find joy. 
I say that so you can grow and discover who you are and be discipled and you can continue to mature as you work out your salvation, but in the meantime that you can apply the principle of serving or being uh, aware of and meeting the needs of the interests of others. Why? So that you can experience joy in a greater measure or a greater fullness of joy in your life. Having the attitude of a servant. And then finally, let me give you this, live a life of intentional relationship. You wanna keep a servant's heart, you wanna keep joy from being stolen away from you, live a life of intentional relationships. Verse 25 says this, last scripture. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother-in-law. Listen to this, I'm sorry, my brother. My brother, coworker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, who you sent to take care of my needs. But listen to this, I'm sending Epaphroditus, my brother, my coworker, and fellow soldier. He's all that wrapped up in one. Paul gives a shout out to Epaphroditus, and look what he says. He says this, that Epaphroditus has it figured out. He's my brother, he's my coworker, he's my fellow soldier. He's saying everyone needs an Epaphroditus in their life. If you wanna protect the joy in your life, if you wanna keep a servant's heart, then you need an Epaphroditus in your life. That will help you. And I'll be honest, and I think some of us don't have joy in our life sometimes because we have no one there helping us. We have no one there protecting it. We have no one there picking us up. We have no one there encouraging us. Or we're not the person that I'm gonna be your Epaphroditus. Who is your Epaphroditus? Because don't let that enemy steal the joy from you. You need an Epaphroditus in your life. Because sometimes when you get weak and you forget some of these things, Epaphroditus can check you on it. He's my brother. I can tell my brother anything. He's my coworker. He understands we co-labor together. Hey, we're wearing red shirts on Sunday. We're in the usher team. We're serving together. He's my fellow soldier. Hey, we're about kingdom business on this planet. So Epaphroditus, I need you in my life. You need me in your life. Why? Because I want the heart of a servant, and I don't want to be deceived by this world. I don't want to slip over and being obsessed with selfishness. I want to make sure that I'm humbling myself, and if Epaphroditus needs to check me, then check me. You have my permission, and I will check you. Why? Because I want the fullness of joy, because we live in a tough life. This world's not fair. It's hard, and it hates you. The devil hates you. Who's your Epaphroditus? You want to join a greater measure? Find an Epaphroditus. A brother, a sister, co-worker, fellow soldier. <clears throat> Who is helping you protect your servant's heart? Because we have a lot of people, why are you doing that? What are you going there for? They don't appreciate that. It's late. It's tired. You already gave to that. You already gave money. All they want is your money. We need an Epaphroditus to protect our servant's heart. Who's helping protect your joy? We need Epaphroditus. I think we miss joy or we have it stolen away sometimes because we don't have that. A brother, a coworker, a fellow soldier. Life groups, serving groups. Where am I gonna meet an Epaphroditus? A life group? Married for life maybe? Serving opportunity? Wednesday night when we go eat dollar meal deals? How am I gonna find an Epaphroditus? Don't leave church right away, hang out. Engage with other people, engage with God, engage with others. We humble ourselves so that God can exalt us. He's a good and faithful God, amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.